You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, but Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Um, So as a church, we're going through this series called The Seven Signs of Jesus. And in in these seven signs of Jesus, we're looking at seven miracles that Jesus performs through the Gospel of John. There's many more things that he did. But for us during this series, these seven signs are going to be really critical. Uh, So far, we've already talked about uh, Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus brings the party. We talked last week about Jesus uh, healing the official's son from a long distance away. And in future weeks, we're going to see that Jesus can command the wind and the waves. He creates the surf report. We're going to see that Jesus will feed the 5,000 by hosting the largest fish and chips picnic in history. Fish, sorry, fish and bread. I think that's what it is. Um, So Jesus is going to show us over and over and over again that there's something different about him. Jesus hits different. Jesus was a real authentic miracle worker. Jesus was a a world-class teacher. He was an incredible leader. But he was so much more than that. He's so much more than this. Um, I went back and listened to one of Louis' sermons uh, at the beginning of the series, and I I really liked something that he said. He said, during the during the as we read through the, the book of John, we're going to see that Jesus, Jesus doesn't just tell us who he is. He shows us who he is. And he uses these miracles in his day to uncover some hidden parts of his identity to the people that he was around. He shows them that he wasn't just a man. He's also God. 
And Jesus uses these seven signs to show us his authority over creation, and he shows us his true divine identity with God the Father and God the Spirit. But he also uses these miracles to show us something about ourselves. And so today, as, we've, as we look at this story of Jesus healing a paralytic beside the pool, he's actually going to show us a lot about hope. Now, hope is, is a great thing for us to look at in Scripture, um, but it's, it's, it's good because it's something that we do almost every minute of the day, right? Let's think about some of the ways in which we hope. You, you came here today, you probably came here today with hopes of getting something out of this service, right? Was it an inspirational message, maybe a good brownie afterwards? Um, I know I came here for the brownie. Um, what, what do you hope that your week's going to look like this week? What are your hopes for Christmas time this year or the next holiday that you're on? What do you hope is going to change in your life in the next 24 hours? What do you hope will, will never happen again in your life? In fact, what do you hope the rest of your life is going to look like? You see, our hopes matter because they reveal what matters to us. And our hopes can give us great inspiration, but they can often be misguiding. Uh, our hopes can drive us forward, but they can also crush us when they're not fulfilled. And so what does this man, Jesus, who is also God, and him healing a man beside a pool have to do with our hopes. What about Jesus matters so much to our hopes? Well, this is what we're going to discover today as we walk through this passage. And Jesus is going to speak to three of our hopes today. The first of which is our situational hopes. Our situational hopes. So with your bulletin in front of you, let's look back at the first five verses. And I'm going to read them out again. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And now there is in Jerusalem, uh, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, Jesus, to set the scene, Jesus had just traveled from a city named Cana. It was about 110 kilometers north of Jerusalem. So he's been on a long journey to down to Jerusalem for a festival. And he enters by the Sheep Gate uh, and goes to a pool. Now, he's, got, he's not going to the pool to kind of take a load off and get a, a nice dip after a long walk, right? He is actually at this pool that is packed with meaning. You see, the pool by the Sheep Gate used to be this place where uh, the Jews would take their ceremonial lambs and wash them in this pool before they were uh, offered up as an object of worship to God. But over the years, this pool has now become a place where the ill, the decrepit, the paralyzed all hang out. And there's a reason for this. Um, if we have a look, I, actually, I want you to look Look at your bulletin for a second. 
and look really quickly at this, this detail, you might notice that there is no verse 4 in your bulletin. Do you see that? There's verse 3, and then there's verse 5. So it begs a question, what on earth happened to verse 4? What on, where is it? Why is it not in our Bibles? Well, what's interesting about this is that the pool in that verse, it says something to the effect that when the pool was stirred up, it was stirred up by an angel of the Lord in certain seasons, and the first person that made it into the pool when that happened would be healed. Now, the reason that it's not there is because there are some, these, you only see that verse in certain older manuscripts and that it's not as reliable as the rest of scripture. But what it can actually tell us is that there's something significant about this pool to the people that are around them. You see, um, as Jesus arrives at this pool, he learns that this man who has been there for a long time, who has been there for 38 years, lying beside a pool, is in, has just been in an incredible, he's in an incredible difficulty. And Jesus has compassion on him. You see, in verse 6, Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? And some other translations might say, well, do you want to be made whole? Well, interestingly, the man completely blows off Jesus' question. You see, his, he, he wanted to be in the pool. Uh, he, he's not interested in being made well or whole. He just, he just wants to get into the water. And if you look at verse 7, his response is, the sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm going, uh, while I'm going down another steps, some, sorry, while I'm going down, another steps down before me. So this man must have some reason why he's not interested in being healed. He wants to get into the pool. And maybe that, that verse that's, that's not there gives us a bit of an insight as to why that is. There was some hope that the man had put into the pool. Now, I think this is an interesting application here for us. This man had put his hope in some water. He'd put his hope into a, a, a particular activity that he could do to make his life better. And I wonder if, if you've ever been in a difficult situation in life where you thought there was only one way out. Where there was, maybe there was only one way for you to be successful. There's only one way to have your expectations met. Um, growing up, I had this dream of becoming a professional basketball player. All right. And so I was fortunate enough to have a ton of great opportunities to play. I'd, I played on all the right teams. I got all the right coaching. I even got to go to the US and play in college basketball for a while. I had everything going for me except for the fact that I had some horrific injuries toward the end of my career. And also the reality that there's a very tiny percentage of people that ultimately end up getting to make sports their profession. My hope was that I could become a professional basketball player and use that platform to talk about Jesus. Well, only half of that dream came right. I, never, I was never able to go make that part of my dream to play basketball. And I remember the day when that realization hit me and I was just furious at God. 
You see, I, God had moved me over to the US for 16 years chasing this dream. And it meant I was away from my family. It meant that I was away from the people that loved me. And I just thought, God, why on earth did you bring me over here to chase this dream when it all just crumbled at the end? There's something that I wish I had known back then that I'm trying to cling to now, which is found in this verse. And that's this, is that our lesser hopes are crushed by the better hopes that Jesus has for us. Our lesser hopes are crushed by the better hopes that Jesus has for us. The paralytic's hope was crushed. His hope was to get into the water, but Jesus said, it's actually better for you to listen to my words and I will heal you without getting into the water. The paralytic's hope was to be healed. <laughs> you could say the paralytic's hope was, was hoped to be healed by getting into the water, but Jesus actually blew his hopes out of the water, right? In verse 8 and 9, Jesus says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. Now, Jesus could have said, let me carry you down to the water and I'll put you in there. Or he could have said, let me scoop up some water and bring it to you and I'll heal you with that. But instead, Jesus just simply spoke a word to this man's situation, and he was made whole. There's something powerful about being in the presence of Jesus. And you might ask, well, how do I do that? How do I get into the presence of Jesus like this man by the pool? Well, actually, Jesus says something interesting in the book of Matthew. He says that for whether where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So by virtue of you being here today and every Sunday and every prayer meeting and every gospel community that you get to, any time that you're gathered with God's people, you are in the presence of Jesus. And he can speak into your situation where you are right now. And when we open up his word together, like we are today, we can expect that Jesus will change our life, that he will give us these greater, these better hopes through his word. Now, it just so happens that what this meant for the paralytic is that his whole body was healed, right? But you also might be wondering, well, but I but I'm dealing with my own physical problem or my own financial issues or my own career issues or my or family tension that just hasn't been resolved or healed. And I've been genuinely praying for this. And I've been asking other people to pray for me as well, but I'm just, I'm not receiving the healing from Jesus that this man has. Does that mean that I'm not in the presence of Jesus? Does it mean that I'm not pursuing him in the right way or, or worse? Could it mean that actually Jesus doesn't want my situation to be changed? That's a sobering thought. I wish I could give you a clear answer to your own situation from the scriptures. But I do want to lay before you some promises from the scriptures that will hope us, that will, sorry, that will help us when our prayers don't get answered. Isaiah 59 verse 2 
says this, but your iniquities or your sins have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Wow, isn't that hopeful? (laughs) This passage is really hard to hear. It says sometimes our lack of dealing with our sin will actually stop us from seeing our true needs and our prayers before God. That's a hard word to hear. If you haven't read the verse that came right before it, there's another promise. In in Isaiah 59 verse 1, it says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ears too dull to hear. So no matter what situation you're in or how far you've turned from God, his never-ending arm of grace and his always-on ears are waiting for you to call on him. The book of Romans also has a lot to say to our unanswered prayers as well. And sometimes we think, when we think that God uh, is not up to answering our prayers, you might hear this zinger from Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And it's true that no matter what situation that we're in, no matter how difficult, no matter how long it's been happening, no matter how much our prayers have have been unanswered, God is working your situation for good in your life and for his glory. But this is often difficult to hear when you're just in the middle of it, where things just aren't going well and your, your faith has been diminished or your, your, your life is just feeling down and out. But thankfully, the verse right before this one gives us a little glimpse of the hope that God has for us. You see, in, in Romans eight twenty six, it says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. See, the Spirit searches our hearts and knows uh, our minds and prays for us before God in his presence. So God's own Spirit, his Holy Spirit, is praying for you right now. You've got no other advocate that's better than God for your prayers when we don't even know what to pray. So even if you are holding on to a glimmer of hope, I hope you know that God is that better light in your life. His better hopes are always working for us. Jesus speaks better hopes to our situational hopes. But he also speaks, in this passage, Jesus also speaks to a different kind of hope. He speaks to our religious hopes. So our paralytic friend is, we're going back to him, he's he's now no longer a paralytic, right? He's, He's completely healed. And at the end of verse 9, you might see that John actually gives us a detail that, the, that Jesus healed this man on a very particular day. It was on the Sabbath day. And there are some religious leaders that are hanging out, and they know that it's the Sabbath day, 
and uh, they are really upset. In fact, when they turn to the paralytic, who's just walked for the first time in 38 years, they have a gripe with him. They say, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. I mean, this guy's been down on this bed for 38 years, and he's being nitpicked for standing up and walking and hasn't been able to for the last four decades. But guess what? The healed man, he comes back with a great zinger, right? He comes back with the, it wasn't me, it was him. That's the card he plays. Look at verse 11. It says, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. He's saying, Jesus told me to do it. It wasn't me. It was this guy over here. Now, we know, we know later on in the passage that actually the Jews do figure out that it is Jesus who healed this man. And in verse 16, which isn't in your bulletin, I'm just giving this one to you for free. In verse 16, it says, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. You see, the Jewish leaders are upset in part that Jesus made someone pick up his mat. It wasn't that it doesn't say that they were mad about Jesus healing somebody. It was the mat thing that got him going. Now, interestingly, there is actually no Jewish law or no historical Jewish law that prohibits you from picking up your mat on the Sabbath. This was, a law, this was just a rule that they made up that would hopefully help them keep the Sabbath by not working. That was the, that was the hope of the law. But what they realized, they, did, they didn't actually... They had put their hope in a spiritual discipline at the cost of meeting with the God that they worshipped, who was right in front of them. Now, as Christians, we can often beat up on the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day. We can turn them into a proverbial punching bag. And the problem of doing that is that we can often fall into the same trap that they did. We can actually fail to see that their issue is also sometimes our issue. Everybody today, every single one of us here, me included, we are all chasing a religious experience. There's this book that I have been reading recently. It's called Strange Rites. It's by uh, this author named Tara Isabella Burton. And she writes of this growing trend of young people these days who now who now like to say that they are spiritual, but not religious. And she makes an incredible observation about the spiritual, but not religious people. And I'll quote her. She says, they prioritize intuitional spirituality over institutional religion. And they want, when available, institutional options fail to suit their needs. The freedom to mix and match, to create their own daily rituals and practices and belief systems. So her point is that when we pretend not to be religious, we are actually being religious. To put it another way, our religious hopes are often hampered by the way in which we practice our faith. So we might feel unwarranted guilt over the fact that we don't read the Bible enough or pray enough, even as we're doing our best. Sometimes we might feel overconfident, actually, that we've figured out the best way to live a balanced spiritual life. And there is nothing wrong 
with doing your best to trying to read the Bible or to pray more. And in fact, there's nothing wrong with being confident that God might be walking with you and doing things in you. But when our religious hopes are pinned on our own efforts to seek God, all we get is religious activity. And we actually miss God completely. So this was the problem that the Jewish leaders had, and it can easily become our problem today as well. So, Jesus speaks to our religious hopes, and he paints a pretty bleak picture. So how do we make sure we're not putting our hopes too heavily on our religious or our spiritual searches, or putting our hopes in our current situation? Thankfully, Jesus addresses one more hope in this passage. He addresses our greatest hope. So if we go back to the passage, you might have picked up that after the paralytic is healed, he actually had no clue who healed him. Right? Jesus had left before the religious leaders arrived, but later Jesus finds him, the healed man now, at a temple, at the temple. And upon seeing him, he says something particularly curious about to this man. In, if you look at verse 14 in your bulletin, it says, Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. That's an interesting thing for him to say. He just healed this man who's been, been paralyzed for 38 years. And he's like, great, you're well but stop sinning. Don't do this again. There's so many fascinating things about this one passage, and I'm just, I'm just going to point out a few of them. First, I want you to see that Jesus found the man in the temple. The man didn't know who his healer was. And this was a, another unexpected encounter that the man had with his creator. This should give us hope that God can meet us even when we aren't looking for him, right? I know some of us have encountered Jesus in our dreams. Others have come to this church uh, not wanting to upset a friend who invited them, and they, instead they've been met with the God of the universe. God can work in your life even when you least expect it. Second, Jesus says to the man, See, you're well. This, the, now, the way that the verse is structured in the original language actually suggests that the man was completely healed, okay? This wasn't some faith-healing mega event where Jesus, like, put his hand on top of his head and, he, and the crowd all fell over and, you know, three weeks later, they've, they're just back to normal, right? Jesus fully, completely, and perfectly healed this man. But then Jesus says something that's almost confusing. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. It sounds like Jesus is tying what happened to this man, his, his, um, the fact that he was paralyzed, to his own sin. That something in his life actually caused him to be paralyzed. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Now, we don't know what the sin is, and we don't know what this man did. 
but we know that this is what caused his issue, his illness. Now, we also know that not everybody who's a paralytic gets that way because they've done some kind of sin, right? This is talking about this particular man in this particular time. And this is, you know, that Jesus gives lots of examples of how other people who are sick in the Bible, it's not because of their sin, but it's actually because that, that God has used this situation in their life to give him glory, to give God glory. But for this man and this time and place, uh, Jesus has said that this is the result of his own sin. But guess what the good news is? Jesus healed him anyway. You see, the, our greatest hope, this greatest hope that Jesus is pointing to, is that when he healed his man, when he healed this man, he not only healed him, but he perfectly forgave his sin. And when Jesus saw him lying there by the pool, he knew that this sin that the man had committed, get this, that sin that the man had committed, he knew was ultimately going to send Jesus to the cross. As he's healing this man and he's seeing his sin, he heals him anyway, knowing that what this man has done is about to send him to die. The sin that laid this man down for 38 years would ultimately lay Jesus down three days in the grave. But you see, when Jesus went to the cross, he knows, he knew our sin. He knew the sin you have today in your heart. He knows the sin that you have the rest in your life in your heart, but he goes there anyway. He goes there to heal you from your past hurts, from your present hurts, from the, the things in the future that are going to totally mess up your situation, you totally mess up the way in which you try to seek God. He goes to the cross so that you would be completely healed in his sight. You see, when we see Jesus' death on the cross as this incredible healing act for our own hearts, it totally redeems the situational hopes and the religious hopes that we have in our life. When we see that this greatest hope that we have in Jesus heals us from our sin, we can now have the biggest hopes in this life. We can have the largest hopes that God would do incredible things. We can, we can pray and have these hopes that every single compassion child that is offered up on this table would come to know Jesus and that their life would flourish. We can have those hopes because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus didn't stay down in that grave for 38 years. He stayed down in that grave for three days. And when he rose up from that grave, he proved, just like he did with the paralytic, that he could get up and walk and change our lives for eternity. It's because Jesus got up and walked out of the grave that he can say to you, he can say to me, get up and walk into this life with hope, with this hope that Jesus Christ will give you an incredible hope that will be far better than any situational or religious hope that you might have. And so I, I don't know how you came in here today. I don't know what situational hope you're, you're carrying with you. I don't know what, uh, where you're at with your faith. 
I don't know whether you've just been trying really, really hard to connect with God for a really long time and nothing has come from it. You might be in, you might be in the best situation you've ever been in your life and things are going well. You've just had an incredible holiday or you've, you've just got the massive promotion at work or you've, you've just come into some financial blessing. And Jesus says to all of those scenarios, I have a better hope for you. That when you walk with me, you will be living in the fullness of life and everything that's meant in him. And let me plead with you today that if this is... If this is new news for you, or this is something that you haven't seen in a while, gosh, you are in the best spot ever. You're in this spot just like the paralytic was. You get to see a man coming before you asking, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be restored to the way in which I have created you? Do you want to be in a place where you can walk in every day and, and think through and be about the greatest hope that I have for you in this world. That's what walking with Jesus is like. And so as we go into worship here in a second, I just want to take a quick minute for us to pause and for us to pray individually right where you're at, at your seat. And we're going to ask Jesus, we're going to lay our hopes before him, both individually and together. And we're going to ask him to give us a vision of this greater hope that he has for us. So why don't you do this right now? Why don't we just close our eyes? We can bow our heads. You can even open up your hands. I like to do that sometimes when I pray. And let's just take a quiet moment to ask God about this hope that he has for us in Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.